We all have heard horror stories of how a remodel nearly tore a couple apart, as well as how impactful our environment can be on our state of well-being. Remodels don't have to end in divorce, and we can reflect our true selves in our environment with the right approach. Welcome to Psychotecture. My name is Rachel Melvald, and I'm a psychotherapist and designer. Psychotecture was developed as a methodological approach to ease issues that come up in design challenges, as well as the philosophy on how our environment can reflect our highest selves. Each week, I will interview an expert in the field of design and psychology to shed light on design challenges. I will also have a special series called The Psychotech is In, where I can offer help to those in design intervention need. Welcome to The Psychotech is In, the sensory integration series. Today, we're going to move on from color to look at textiles and furniture and interior design space and how we can connect with furniture. And I welcome a really fantastic interior designer that I just fell for in terms of how I connected to the pieces she selected in her, her showroom. I welcome Laura Muller of Four Point Design. Welcome, Laura Muller. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Laura Muller from Four Point Design. I had met her about a year ago from today at a Pasadena showcase. And why I'm so thrilled to have her as my psychotecture guest is that she embodies the methodology, the philosophy of psychology and design like no other interior designer that I have seen. And she is the one who has inspired me, has encouraged me to keep on this journey of how important it is to look at our mental health and how we live and where we live. What a great joy it was to have, you know, rarely do we have those wonderful moments where it really is an intuitive moment. And when we met, I remember we both were like, wait, wait, hold on. And it was like, I think at the moment we knew something had to be captured. And I'm so glad that we've been able to have our chats throughout the year. And now we're kind of coming full circle and all your dreams are being manifested and things are great for us. And it's just so nice to be able to come together and remember that grounded moment. Thank you, Laura. And I'm so pleased for you to be here. And what a time because you have your current new remodel, your kitchen that you're showcasing at the Pasadena Showcase this week. So I just love the timeliness of this. And, you know, I think just casually to let our listeners know about your background and how you got into interior design. Oh, gosh. Well, I think it comes very naturally to me, the whole design build phenomenon. I've always worked with my hands with my father in the garage, and he taught me very old school building practices and construction practices. My grandfather built furniture. So it just always felt like if I wanted to build something, it was always, okay, let's let's sketch it out and let's build it. There was never a, a harness put on that passion or that creativity and that wonder of like, could we just build anything? And I think that's where being rooted in a sense of certain kind of fearlessness about the trades and about construction and building and dreaming and manifesting, I think that it allowed me to find some real natural passions. And one of those is I've always loved to build stuff and I've always loved the theater and having a background in theater enabled me to kind of bring 
my intuitive nature. That's right. And my love for design and building. And actually it wasn't, I can't even say design build. It's more like thinking and creating. So it's more of a creative pulse rather than a trade choice. And my brain always says yes to pretty much everything, which as I've gotten older, I've learned that you can't really exist saying yes to everything. However, the idea that you can dream something and then manifest it is the creative process. And I think that's what I learned at a very young age. And then throughout my youth, being very, very heavily involved in the theater enabled me to, to learn everything about exactly that, which is you think something, you dream it, it's unbelievably wacky fantasy, and all of a sudden you just figure out how to do it. And I think learning set design and set staging and you know all the aspects of creating something and manifesting something and then taking these kind of turns in the theater where you know, when you're truly working in an ensemble, which I say that because it's very true to how I work with my clients today. When you work in an ensemble concept, everybody does every job. There isn't a job too big, too small. You know, one week you're the lead and, and you're singing and doing your best. And then the next week you're selling tickets in the booth. So that idea of a full experience when it comes to manifesting something has just been very natural for me. And then fostering that in the education and then actually getting into the theater and then living my life in the theater for many years and crossing over into film and television production and being on the backside of that kind of really don't know specifically when I actually started and said to myself, gee, I think I want to be an interior designer because it didn't just happen along that path for me. I didn't, it didn't come to me that way. It came to me very organically trial and error Sometimes it was survival, and to bring me here was very pretty, pretty scrappy ride, but a great ride. Yeah, but I think you're describing it came to you maybe out of function and survival, but you coming from the theater and from production, I think, really allows for you to not only appreciate the creative process because interior design is it's an art, it's a creative process, and there's a magic to it. Yep. But also you have such a magnificent ability to work as a team player and a collaborator. And I feel like that happens a lot in film in production. Obviously that's, that's so crucial, maybe not as much as in remodeling interior design in that type of construction. It's a very close parallel. It's a close parallel. Okay. Very close parallel to so many moving parts. And when you have that kind of, they take on that center core of the project, whether you're the project manager or you're the one facilitating all the trades, or you're the one that's actually designing the finish. And sometimes you're all of that. You really have to have a team that works in that ensemble way and that everybody understands each other's role. Like if I want somebody to kind of come in and, you know, has to be a push and a pull with the tile installation versus the doors. And then what's the, you know, everybody has to be sensitive to the holistic environment that a design build project is. And the bigger it is, the more time it takes, the more administration it requires, the more trades are required. 
But the idea, whether you're working on a powder room with three trades or you're working on, you know, a, a five-story building and you're doing commercial and residential and multi-purpose, there's still the same quality of concept that we need to work together. So it absolutely And when you see the credits at the end of the movie, you just can watch them for 15 minutes because you realize how every single person's contribution is creditable and notable and important. And when it all comes together, the better the team, the better the result. Yes, it is essential. And I think not only have I been inspired by your ability to work as a team player and a collaborator, and you do it out of a love of valuing everybody you work with, not only your your client, but everyone you work with. So I think in the psychotecture of it, I look at, you know, there's so much to unpack around your ability to value each team player in the design process, as well as valuing your client. And that speaks to a lot of the psychology of how you're able to effectively get a remodel done while also going into the environment that speaks to the value of that home or that person. So I just think it's twofold with you. And as we go into when I first saw the room at the Pasadena Showcase, I walked into this room. And while I had this business idea of how does psychology and design merge, I walk in her room and I thought, oh my gosh, I feel this space is in a sensory perfection. It was a living room in a Hollywood Regency style house and everything from the furniture, the texture, the wall coverings just put me in a space of safety. While it also wanted, I wanted to go and kind of play with the items and the objects. And that was part of what the meaning of this living room had. So Can you speak to that first room that we had met and why I felt so sensorially regulated? Oh, well, first of all, awesome that you actually got it. So much of design is internal and we hope that it manifests itself in a result where somebody else is feeling our intention. So thank you for that. I think The most important thing that I learned over the past 30 years of raising my family and having three children with special needs and requiring my investigation and exploration, and then later on in my life, having the great privilege of working with the Ronald McDonald House, where it was a very unique project in that it was just on the precipice when people were starting to produce data. Data results take a while, even though they may have started researching it 10 years ago. Now we have the data, right? We have some averages. And I think what was wonderful was working with an oncology department and working with the psychology department and working with the medical physicians and the parents and, and hearing how to create a space that is intuitively healing. That doesn't mean that what I like to look at is going to be the same for everybody. But there is data now that breaks down certain, what you're saying, those essential sensory experiences so that we can begin to apply them to a space once we discover what the lifestyle is and what potentially the client is looking 
to shift. A lot of times when people do a remodel, it's like a facelift. They want to refresh. But let's take a step back and look at what are they actually refreshing? Are they refreshing to hopefully to fix their marriage? Is this refresh something that is a bit of a, I'll show you and now I've got my independence? Is it, I've got three kids and now all of a sudden we're fostering four more and our lifestyle has changed, but now I just need to take the old and create something around my new requirements. Looking at it first there and then being able to take the data and taking the principles of those sensory elements and then applying them to where they potentially want to go and how they want to feel in a space, how they want to use it. One of the great things we learned were very, very basic. And now some of the things we learned about back then were now buzzwords. So we talk about nature and bringing nature indoors and daylight. Now we call it biophilia. Now we have data from the Happiness Institute and they've got proof and data about how people live in their home and what really does manifest a positive well-being. And then, of course, you have the whole sustainability factor. And all of it has to go back to the core lifestyle of the person who is going to use the space. So I think creating a sensory experience around something that my objective was for that space was, let's make a multi-generational space that somewhat harkens to the the salons of yesteryear, where at the end of the evening or the day, they would come and they would gather together. You'd have newborn babies with great grandparents, fathers and mothers, and, and you had to read. And so everybody would come into this, what we call the salon, and they would gather and they would either talk or they would do critical parallel play, which is, as you know, as a doctor of the brain, you also understand the need for interdependence rather than codependence. So creating a space that allows for interdependence, allows for parallel play, allows acoustically for that much activity, removes the stress. So we use materials that are easily maintainable. Something that's going to have longevity to it is going to help reduce stress because you don't have to worry every time somebody sits on something or touches something, it's going to fall and break creating that on purpose, things that will patina over time, and then taking the face test and actually take your shoes off and walk on the carpet and feel what it feels like. All these things manifest a subtle, intuitive space. So knowing what they need, then knowing the elements that we can access and how to apply them to that is kind of the science of creating a very sensory definitive space. And in that space, we did, we used all that and we created a space that I thought was very manipulative and tactile because let's face it, who doesn't get bored? I don't care how old you are. If you've got a beautiful box on the coffee table that your toddler, if he hits it with the blocks, isn't going to ruin it. You've got beautiful hardware that you know you've invested in because that company or that artist gives 50% of their proceeds to helping women in domestic situations and healing. There's every single thing that you look at, that you touch, has a story and has a meaning. It's going to bounce back to you. It's going to begin to mirror back to you. So in those moments of weakness, when our bodies are weak or our minds are weak or our our patients' levels are low or our physical biology is at a vulnerable state, 
the space that we're in can heal us back. It's like the wall, you know, when we hang up our awards. It's not so much for the great days that we're having, but for the crappy days that we're having, right? So we want the hall of inspiration to nurture us back in those times of weakness and vulnerability. And a home should do the same thing. An office, a restaurant, you know, it, you can still have a wild, wonderful concept. You can still do colors or minimalist, you know, all white. That is kind of like the coding over the truth of the space. So, and we shoot right for the truth of the space. I mean, I want to highlight the truth of the space is what mirrors back to you. It reverberates back to you. It is a relationship with you in that space. So it reveals this authenticity at the same time. I sense that when you walk in a room like I had, I had to register what it was in me, but it at first was intuitive. It was not logical. It was not like I had to think about it or unpack it. It intuitively did feel safe. There was a reverberation. I wanted to reach into the texture. That's what I appreciate about aesthetics in some regard and the creator behind a room like that, because as someone who's just going into that space, you don't want to analyze it. You're just, you feel it. Sometimes it's irrational, but when we know why it creates that effect in us, there is a creator behind that. There is a magician like you (laughs) who's creating that. Yeah environment. Yeah, there's a somewhat of a method. A a lot of it does have to do with with an intuitive connection that we have with our clients when we hit it off. And I search for that. I seek that right away. And I'm not afraid to strip down the polish to understand the client. And I don't know that if there's any separation when you're working on a very large project that potentially will have you in bed with them for over, you know, maybe up to two years, You want to make sure that you're safe. And the first and best way to get there is to lower the guard and find the areas of commonality and to find the common denominators that pull you together. And usually as what I would say, the leader in the duo, the client designer, the client project manager duo, that team, they're coming to us for our expertise and our experience. So you have to kind of step into that and be willing to be the first one to get naked. And I think that that is what the treasure is. I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations have come just over sitting down and relaxing and sharing my stories about my imperfections or my history with children with special needs, in particular with anxiety and depression and OCD and those kinds of things, that What I've come to find out is that pretty much every single person either knows somebody or is that way or suffering with a spouse who feels that way. And the beauty of coming together to create what we were talking about, that intuitive giving back home, that the truth of that space is getting down to that because everything else is a Band-Aid. Let's heal. Let's find a way for you to exist in this space and for it to return the love, return the healing. Back, whether it's adding daylight, whether it's a certain color, the truth is, is that the closer we get intimately, the better I'll be able to manifest that healing space for you. And I think that 
to differentiate that in the design process where to really be vulnerable. And I really always enjoy talking to you about how you embody this maturity and wisdom and lovingness in your design process. And as we can psychoanalyze and understand you as a mother having special needs children and the rough road and the sensitivities you know that takes as not only a mother, but to be a designer and to have that equanimity of connection and vulnerability Mm-hmm. When you're starting off from that vantage point, that's the real foundation. Yes, exactly. And I think it's very hard to move forward because it feels like most of the work would be speculative. No, it would be, I think this is what, because I, you know, these are the pictures you showed me on Pinterest. I think that's what, and it, it, it could be absolutely the absolute opposite. And if they're trying to recreate something, Great. What are they trying to recreate? But if they want something that is refreshed and different, have they really looked at what that is and what that means? Right. What's wrong with what was? Let's figure that out. Right. So to be vulnerable and to get into bed with a client is to, like you're saying, you're leading with the vulnerability. Absolutely. It's courageous for you to let your guard down, to be humans connecting and to get to know that person. And like you're saying, maybe they like a certain style or whatever color scheme, but when you get to know what they really want in their transformation or healing or what this new space will bring to them, it's you as the designer that can bring them to that next level. It's a process. You know, sometimes you can come in and see a bedroom and you go, boom, like magic, Cinderella with my magic wand or bibbity bobbity boo and here you go and it's beautiful and it's great that's good but i think just because the clients that we have had the blessing to learn from and to have success from and to become very close to over the years it's just i think i'm the right person for them so that which we draw to us is what we put out there so Rarely is it that easy where you can just walk in and look at a space and just throw something at it, unless it's very, very high concept hospitality project, perhaps, where in a high thematic situation like a Disneyland hotel where Mickey Mouse has to be everywhere, you know, that sort of high level of concept is very different than how most people really live. And there's a few points that I see parallels in the psychotherapy process to the design process. One that in psychotherapy, we often try not to get caught in an agenda of treatment goals, but as a psychotherapist, we're in the back of our our heads trying to create a container for growth and healing and to either eliminate distress or symptoms or to actualize potential. Right. And there's the humanistic way of working in psychotherapy where we give our clients unconditional positive regard. We listen to them, yet we we know and hope that we become the vehicle to find their own truth of what they need, right? Exactly. And there's such a parallel in this process as a designer and as much as you design, which brings me to the dynamics of family and in a design project, how much of the maternal 
comes up and how these maternal, paternal roles start to become enacted in the design team experience. So I, I wonder if you can speak to that psychologically. Such a great point. I think being maternal is just my DNA. So I don't have any cognitive switch that I render to become more maternal. I'm an intuitive and I'm an empath and that's just me. So for me, I tend to now the double-edged sword on that is that I tend to, like a mother does, they want to protect and heal. And sometimes it's not always possible in a professional you know, universe where we have budgets and timelines and things like that. But there's a no question about how useful my maternal instinct has been and how being the team camp mom has benefited me and the team and the result greatly. Because dare I say, most of the boys on our teams, they don't want to be shouted out and told what to do. They need clear cut boundaries like a good mom. And they need to be able to have a wide enough bandwidth so that they can create something of their own and contribute. You want that for your children. You want them to be unique. And then there is, at times, a great deal of babysitting because men and women are different in some ways that tend to show themselves at at various times during the process, especially when you're working with things that are unpredictable. And especially when you've got weather or you've got COVID or you've got all these things coming at you. So it's a lot of different moving parts. So having that non-condescending maternal instinct is where I live. So I'm just, I just be it. And so far it's worked really, really well because I think men want to be respected. And so do women. I mean, I'm all for all for a full woman production team, but that isn't always the case. And there is a difference in the way they communicate. And so being sensitive to that, having raised a son and daughter's not being threatened by having to manifest unique versions of myself. They're all honest and they're all real and they're all organic and true. But when I'm with my family, I'm one. And when I'm with a business partner, I'm another. And it's the same in the same vein of that concept of why wouldn't, if this guy responds better to a more strict parent, why wouldn't I just be that more strict parent? And he just needs to be told what to do. This guy is threatened by that. It would be much easier if I sent Cliff over there and said, hey, Cliff, no, sweetie, would you give him these instructions? I think, you know, he would hear it better. So understanding and not feeling threatened about having to cater to those receptors Mm -hmm. enables me, because I'm not threatened by it at all. I I don't mind being what I have to be. If as long as it's true and organic and honest and and they can hear it better, then it's going to make a better team. So that's just natural for me. So you're able to communicate in the language that they need. Right, exactly. So make no mistake, like in a tango as a woman, you're still leading, right? I mean, there's the leader is the male, but as a woman, you're really holding it. Yeah. And like you speak to, some people need more boundaries. Some people react better to the boundaries. Some people might push the bounds because all the variables you're dealing with are higher stress that would cause 
clients to be in their more challenged mental health, for lack of better words, to say. So that is the nicest way I've ever heard anybody put it. (laughs) Challenged in their mental health. (laughs) Yeah, stress monkeys. Yeah. (laughs) Because like we were talking about, when you have like your home, your money, your budget, your relationship, all these stakes are higher and your defenses are lowered or heightened, getting more heightened, you're becoming more vulnerable and scared. The fear is encroaching mm-hmm. that in a remodel, you're really managing a lot of a high stress situation. Yeah. And there are different degrees to that too, but for sure, the most important thing is to manage the expectations of the players, you know, and making sure that you over communicate to a level of obnoxious. I like that idea of over communicating, over communicate everything. And nobody ever said, you told me that three times and I'm upset more than they've said, why didn't you tell me? So let's over-communicate. We, we talk about how we learn to communicate better as a team or as a duo or a dynamic or as a couple, but let's over-communicate. Yeah, it expedites things. <laughs> it expedites things. Which brings another question as to maybe a case study you can share where working with couples and working with even in a family system where there's differing aesthetic opinions, visions, ideas, ways to spend money as you've been talking about how you negotiate a lot of these decisions and this relationship with your clients, what are some ways that you found to be effective in in working in these disputes or dissent? Absolutely. Without a doubt, the best thing I ever started doing was at the very, very first design meeting, I spend an extended amount with each person separately. I will have one partner whoever that is, with me. And usually I'll have the one that is the most chomping at the bit to get moving. There's usually a leader and a follower. Rarely is it totally 50-50. Right. So we start with that. And that's an extended design meeting where I listen and I ask a lot of questions and I send them out a questionnaire so that they can start to prepare things that maybe they didn't think of that don't come up later after you've already ordered the cabinets. So these things all happen. There's a lot of front loading during the first step of the process. And then when we go to sit down, I make sure that that person is not interrupted, that that person isn't bullied, and that we don't allow it, and that that person has my respect and my full attention. And I make a ton of notes and they feel heard and we go through their Pinterest boards and we go through some of the floor plans and we just start sketching. And it's a very extended meeting, very casual, very personal, very informal. Then I do the same thing with the other partner. It's not one behind the other or one instead of the other. It's both have their own ideas. Then I listen to the other person ideas and I start to begin Most of the time, they might think they have an issue, but when the truth is, it's really only maybe one or two that if we can identify them and I can kind of find a way creatively to bring the two together, and maybe sometimes one is just a horrible idea and we say, you know what, I'm the tiebreaker. So that's the deal. Right. And with that said, you are employing a lot of couples therapy techniques as for one, fundamentally, is making sure that they're heard. And 
that obviously goes miles. I like the approach because the John Gottman approach, he's the couple's guru, both him and his wife. And they, they do speak to having separate meetings, separate sessions. And I think when you have those separate sessions and you get to know each client individually, and then you can come together as a team, you really can get a real nice chance to hear them. Yes. I think it's very, very, very important. And now we have such opportunities to have these kinds of conversations where our meetings can take place and they're no longer absent of the micro relationship. So now I can jump on a quick Zoom call and and put my screen up there and say, hey, I was thinking about this and I know I'm going to present this to your wife and you're feeling heard here. And it's a micro meeting. And rather than presenting something and it feels so trial and error, this really is, this whole process has become with technology gives us a wonderful flow of energy that kind of just is very liquid. And that enables everybody to feel also that they're being hurt. You know, it's never been bad. but And that's probably because I lay my boundaries out quickly. If it comes to that, I get to make the decision. And then I make them agree to that. That if you guys can't agree, I make the decision. And if they both agree to that, then I'm the bad guy and it's okay. So it never really has to get horrible because everybody's being heard and everybody's getting what they need. And most of the time, it has nothing to do with the console. Right. It doesn't have to do with the console. It has to do with their dynamics, but it becomes the console. Exactly. So <laughs> it's never about the console. Right. <laughs> and, and you do wear a director's hat, right? That you are laying down the ground rules. And if you have to make an executive decision, so be it. So setting that tone and your husband-wife team so you can be exemplary in, in your process of you and Clifford working jointly together. Yeah, I mean, and it's okay for sometimes to call in, you know, one or each other and say, you know what, I think he's going to hear you better. So you deliver this message. Those two pillars of, of responsibilities, they have to be really clear. And so we try to set that kind of clarity at the beginning for the clients too. And they appreciate that I am going to carry the stress for these things. You just tell me what you want. You know, it's going to be okay. Right. So you are, in essence, being the parents, right? You're, you're holding it. And ultimately, a client, they do want that direction. And they do want that decision making. You know, it, it's not 100%. even maybe the bossy, you know, more narcissistic or controlling type, they, they're really searching for those boundaries and searching yeah. to be nurtured, right? Exactly. Because control can be a lot of what's probably happening in, in a remodel situation, right? Yeah. It's a result. When you, someone's trying to over-control, usually it's out of fear that if they don't over-control it, it won't be what they need or what they want or what they visualize or that someone else isn't going to protect them and protect their vision. Because how do you prove that to somebody, you know, and you know him for a week, you know, and you sign the contract and how does that trust begin to prove itself? You know, we can say, I trust you at the beginning and they do, or they wouldn't hire us, but it begins to reveal itself over time. And so patience and stepping back and going, I know they don't trust me. This is coming from a place of fear. I'm just going to let them have it out and just remind them that I've got them. 
And until such time as I can look at them and say, now, you know, I'm going to take care of it, right? You're just freaking out, right? And uh, they'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll laugh about it. But it really is a journey of, of the mind. It really is. It's a soulful, exhausting, stressful, beautiful, magical journey. It really is. It's a journey. It's a dynamic. It's a transformation. It's a growing experience for you, for your clients, for the home or wherever you're designing. And I guess, you know, obviously being in our new normal and people being in in their homes and seeing that this is now school workplace and, and without getting, you know, too, too repetitive on this topic, where do you feel in its essence for for the home right now? What are maybe some advice or a tip, golden nugget, if you will, for all of us in this transitory time? Uh, if I could just, let's see, if I bring it down to some simple tips, I would say for designers and professionals trying to work in this space and work from home and working in an absolute brand new crazy environment, I would say just take a deep breath. The beauty of what I have seen through this COVID experience on these Zoom calls in particular is seeing that everyone else in their home has a chair with clothes on it from last Tuesday. Everybody's got a wacky bookshelf with a thing that somebody gave you that it's like, eh, I got to put it up. They're coming over. You know, everybody lives a real life. So when you strive to create a space, go inwards. Keep a journal before you make a transition. Journal your thoughts every day about your lifestyle. And then think about your priorities. What's most important? Because Soon it's going to be over. Everybody may or may not be back to work. The kids eventually praying so that they can go back to a healthy school environment. And things will be back to a different way again. I will adapt to that. But the lesson right here is to learn how to prioritize your life. It's been a beautiful reset. So take the opportunity to reset your priorities. Let your mind be, be driven by joy. Let your mind and your future and your planning be driven by priorities that speak to your mental wellness, that speak to your family and those things that are important, speak to the need for your independence within that space and give yourself boundaries and zones. And if you have little kids at home and they're homeschool learning, they're probably pretty adaptable too. But if you've got real little ones that interrupt you on the phone every 15 minutes, give them the control of the clock. Give them a clock. We had a Daisy and a Donald Duck, right? Because I have twins. So I gave them each a clock and I said, okay, you guys, you get the clock, but we're going to set it. I need an hour. And when that timer goes off, you come and bring me this clock. The work goes down and we have 15 minutes of whatever you want to do. And you'd be surprised how waiting that hour was very easy because they knew that you were going to keep your word. The key to all of this working is that you keep your word, of course, but keep your word to yourself too. Give yourself a Donald Duck clock and say, I'm going to work for an hour and I'm going to do 15 minutes of joy. It's all about taking stock of the things that are really priorities 
be easy on ourselves and be loving and compassionate towards ourselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's very, very important through this time in particular. So if you are working at home, have boundaries for sure. And give yourself a time that you stop. Well, boundaries is self-love, right? We feel a sense of self when we have something against us, right? We need, we need a boundary to feel a self. So that's important to start to encourage some of that. We have to be more creative. And it's like you said, it's a special time because we have to be more intentional around it. So we can reflect, we can create, we can draw some bounds for the love of other and us. And as I would say, boundaries are a window. We, we open, we close it. Right. We're not rigid. We're not passive. And I just want to share my absolute gratitude for your time. As your hat says, love is greater than fear. Absolutely. How you lead in love and all the psychology of what we know is to grow in vulnerability and strength is what you bring to the design process with your clients and your beautiful spaces. And can people know about the showcase and how do they find you? Due to the fact that we are under the gatherings mandates that we were unfortunately not able to open the showcase this year. However, if you go on our website, starting in the first week of October, you will have a portal there that will give you an opportunity to see the house in a 360 so you'll be able to go up and down the ceiling, zoom in, walk around the space, actually like virtual reality show house. And it's done in a beautiful, high intensity quality. And I think that everybody's going to be really, really surprised. And then we'll also have some surprises. We're going to be doing a few little featured YouTube lifestyle videos that will be popping up soon. And that will also be on the landing page for the showcase. And they can find that at fourpointdesignbuild.com. And that's fourpoint is spelled out, designbuild.com. And you can follow our blog, The Four Point Report. And you can find us on social media at the number four PT Design Build. And we're pretty much there hanging out and we would love to connect. I love to answer questions. So if anybody has any questions, I'm open and ready. Wonderful. And truly, this kitchen is to die for. It's it's really just the most zen, serene, beautiful. I mean, I just keep thinking about the herbarium. What is that? The herb? herb? It's that we have a, a wonderful hydroponic. Hydroponic. Under counter hydroponic. It looks as sexy as the wine reserve. And it's. Yes. It's so awesome. And I wish everybody could see it. We really did take the sustainability factor very seriously. All of our furnishings and finishes are, there are a couple of things that are not necessarily considered sustainable, but all of our hard fixed materials are sustainable or recycled. And we feel really good about that. And bringing in all of the principles you and I talked about today, daylight, and biophilia, and bringing nature indoors and the surfaces and the finishes and the sight lines that we, we limited sight line interruption. Yes. Oh, the sight lines. Yes. Yeah. The brain can scan in a very subconsciously and in a subliminal way when the brain scans is minimal interruptions. Like we said, like looking at the ocean. What is more centering, right? That is so profound. So we try to bring that 
knowledge into a space that's very unusual and unpredictable. It's at first glance, it's like, oh, and then you're in it and you begin to feel the, the effects that you, you said it so perfectly that you don't really spot it at first until you're in it and you're using the space and it starts to put its arms around you. And that is the surprise of this space. So I hope it translates, but we'll have beautiful photography coming up. And Oh, it's, it's exquisite. It is something to see. I'm so excited for you. Congratulations again for that honor. And may this be the beginning of many more interviews, podcast series on how we bring design to a higher level as, as you do. Absolutely. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot. There is a lot. And we got some good mental health tips for design that will bring us to a higher level of functioning that is going to be seminal. So just you guys wait. Awesome. 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 (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you, Laura. Good luck this week. And we can't wait to see it and check it out. And we will be in touch. Thank you. God bless. Take care. This is Psychotecture by Rachel Malvald with coaching, consultation, and psychotherapy offered virtually and in home throughout the Los Angeles greater area and nationally. We work to ease design challenges to create transformative habitats. Thank you, and we look forward to the next episode and your questions, so don't forget to subscribe.